Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host, John Fitzpatrick, and joining me, as always, is my fellow co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. How do you feel about ties? They're weird. They are weird. As someone who is grew up on American sports, I guess I grew up on rugby, too, but ties are weird. Do you have a preference on a tie or a draw? What do you like to call it? Oh, I grew up with tie. I call them ties. No, it's just weird that they happen. Like, I'm used to watching sports where if it, you know, they'll go to overtime and they'll, yeah, I I like conclusiveness in my sports. I would not hate if, you know, if um, rugby had a, like, penalty shootout and, you know, it still gets marked as 29 to 29 or whatever, but you get a little number next to it like they do in tennis or something to, to show the tiebreaker. And of course, we're talking about Toronto Arrows 29-29 draw with Old Glory DC last week. That was on a Thursday night, which was cool. But we're going to talk a little bit about that scheduling quirk, which I think put Old Glory DC at an extreme disadvantage. But AKP, hey, you look like a music guy. Are you familiar with this song by Joe Cocker, A Little Help from My Friends? I have heard it before, yes. I wouldn't call the other clubs in the Eastern Conference friends of Old Glory DC, but we certainly got a lot of help from them this past weekend with the results that happened in round 14 that really played in the favor of Old Glory DC. And we'll get to all of that in just a bit there. But uh, AKP, what were your immediate thoughts right after the tie? I I was a little I was a little upset with the scheduling. I felt like it was a missed opportunity for us. First of all, I felt like Old Glory was the better team. Um, or is the better team, but it wasn't necessarily playing better rugby on the day. Um, so it was kind of this mixture of like disappointment that we we weren't in better condition to, to come away with a five-point win, and also a little bit of um, relief that it didn't go worse, because it, it sort of felt like it could have. Yeah, can you imagine going up there and losing at the very end if you know Toronto had converted that kick? And that was certainly not a, an easy kick to make. But from 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 heartbreak to relief, okay, oh glory, yeah, we tied Toronto. We should have won that game, but you know we scored four more tries, ended up being draw, so three total table points. <sighs> Could have been a lot worse, as you said. And then it was kind of like holding our breath and, and, and seeing what was going to happen in the rest of, of round 14. So let's just quickly go through Old Glory through 14 rounds. Five wins, six losses, a tie. And yet, can you believe this? They are still in second place in the Eastern Conference after what happened to, to Rugby Atlanta, losing to Dallas, and then Nola getting absolutely spanked by the New England Free Jacks. As it stands right now, AKP, what are the playoff odds for the teams in the Eastern Conference? Yeah, so obviously New England at the top with 100%. And then it goes New York with 93%, and then Old Glory with 86%, which is flipped on what the standings are, but that's because um, we play Atlanta and New York doesn't, Who's with Atlanta being sort of the other major challenger for a, that last playoff spot, so there's a little bit more risk for Old Glory to, to lose that, that spot than there is for New York. Um, and then it goes Atlanta with 16% and NOLA with just 5% now. 
Yeah, because it seems like, I mean, rugby ATL at home, losing to Dallas there, and we've talked about how Dallas has certainly been a better squad the last few weeks in, in this season, but uh, that certainly helped out Old Glory, the fact that rugby ATL could not beat Dallas at home in round 14, and they, it seems to me, like they're slipping away from, from the playoff race, and it really, look it's starting to look like Old Glory, D.C., and New York, and sure, there's four games left in the season, but Old Glory and D.C. are, you know, who, who's going to take two or three there? And, and it's, it'll be really interesting to see what happens, particularly coming up in round 15, where both of them have very tough Western Conference opponents. Old Glory is taking on San Diego. I'm sorry, San Diego is, is facing uh, New York, and then we are taking on the Seattle Seawolves. Certainly going to be a, a very tough round that will talk about in a little bit more. So I want to dig a little bit more into the reaction from the Arrows game. We talked about it. It was a short turnaround. You know, what did you think? Was Old Glory at a a competitive disadvantage going into a game that really they maybe had only like three rest days, maybe two and a half? Yeah. Uh, For me, yeah, that short turnaround was like the defining feature of this this match you know you get some matches where the weather plays a huge part you get some matches where you know a player's absence or presence is the the thing that that changes the the look of the whole game and for me like the short turnaround it's um it was it was just obvious that old glory's players were tired they looked especially Less so in the first half, but by the second half, and especially towards the end of the match, they just looked exhausted. They just were, they were just slow to do things. There were, there were times where they, they looked like they could tackle someone if they really put in that extra effort, but they would let them go by, or they would, they would, they would drop passes because they're, you know, just all sorts of little mistakes like that, um, that, that crept into their game because, they just didn't have the energy to to do it properly, and it's it's very hard when you're tired to to get yourself to to play at your best. And um, I was looking at the the stats too, and this is sort of one of our worst games from a tackle percentage um, in a while, which is something that we're normally pretty good at is not missing tackles. We our sort of defense has other problems in it, but normally actually just making the tackles is not one of them. We've been up sort of close to 90%, which is right where you want to be. And that was that was not true in, in this match. Say Old Glory had won this game, we would be still having this conversation about um, the short turnaround and how it was a competitive disadvantage for Old Glory. Because Toronto, as we talked about earlier, Toronto... The round before it played on Friday night, right? So they had, you know, a couple more days rest, playing at home, team traveling up um, in, in Old Glory there. And, yeah, as, as you said, it, there, it seemed like there was more space opening up later in the game simply because I think the, the guys were just, just worn down and, and, and not finishing tackles that they normally would that was creating more attacking opportunities for the Arrows. And the Arrows, of course, hey, were taking advantage of it. You know, I... I was going back over the last episode, and one of the things that we wanted to talk about, because we knew that going into it, the Toronto match, there was that short turnaround that they were going to have to kind of jump out 
to an early lead, and they certainly did that. They did that, right? Like, Jama scored first. They made a, they penalized, or they made a, they took advantage of an arrow's penalty to score first, and that's exactly what you wanted Old Glory to do, uh, a traveling team, to go out there and, and take an early lead. But what else did you see? Hey, KP, maybe in that first half or the second half, things that kind of just, I don't know, the back of your mind bugged you about either the game plan or how things unfolded. Well, if I, w- I want to talk about some good things first. Um, I thought, and this is partly goes back to the tiredness. Part of the way you could tell how tired the players are is when Marcos Young coming in in the second half and just providing an absolute explosive presence off the bench. I do sort of wonder if maybe maybe it would have been a better idea to start him because he also didn't start against New England. He would have been a fresh pair of legs for the, the first half. And he was he was absolutely fantastic when he came on and then he got he got injured, so hopefully that's nothing serious and he'll be able to, to keep playing because I thought he had a great game. Um, and you saw Longy Longy come off the bench. He also had a great game. Uh, I thought our substitutes did pretty well, but there just weren't enough of them. You can't replace the whole team, and a lot of the starters for this week were starters last week, so that that tiredness really showed through. The other thing they wanted to bring up was that, hey, oh, oh Glory, from an attacking perspective, they did what they were supposed to do. They went out there, they got, they scored five tries. That's a real solid effort out there, right? They got they, they got the, the bonus point for the try, which is important. Again, table points are huge, particularly as we head down these final four four weeks there. I'm glad you brought up some of the good. I, I do want to talk about some of the things that drove me crazy. And I'll start with this one. This one is just kind of, you know, this is just the bounce of the ball, right? Old Glory, unfortunately, has had some... They've been on the, the wrong end of some unfortunate bounces there at the end of the game when the arrows scored at the end to tie it up. The ball that gets bounced off of Old Glory defender and right into the arms of the arrows player. <laughs> what, do you, what, what can you do about that other than just, like, that's the way it goes sometimes? I mean, like... I'm I'm struggling to to wrap my my head around how Ogori seems like this is like the second or third time this season where a bounce has not gone their way. Yeah, yeah, that was tough. Although, asked be said, why were even why were Toronto even in a position to make that pass? Why did that that bounce happen? Because we box kicked. We put we had we were up. We had the lead, and we decided that the thing to do up five points with two minute minutes left in the match was box kick and it just it's one of those things that absolutely blows my mind it's one of those things where i feel like i'm crazy like is there because this keeps happening i mean this is what got the u.s eliminated from the world cup and from from qualifying for the world cup and it's just what is it with scrum halves and last minute box kicks to to give possession to the opposition when all you need to do is Give your forwards a few phases, hold on to the ball, keep moving. If you're going to kick, kick deep so that they've got to really work it all the way out of their own end. And I just, the whole point of a box kick is that it's it's doesn't go that far. It goes high, so it takes a long time to come down, and it's contestable. But we weren't doing a great job of contesting those kicks anyway in, in the match. I mean... 
Danny put up a several box kicks that we just didn't really do a whole lot to chase. Uh, we weren't we weren't tending to put a lot of pressure on them on those kicks, and so they were taking them cleanly. So there was there was only a minimal risk of a someone dropping it, and it just it felt like it was. I have no idea what Danny was thinking, kicking that that ball. I mean, maybe he didn't know how much time was left in the match, but they have a pretty big scoreboard there. You can, you know, how much about how much time's left in that match, and it just there's. I feel like there's got to be a reason that this happens all the time, and I really want to. If we ever talk to to Coach Sims or any other coach, I I want to ask them about this because there's. I don't know why this keeps happening because it seems obvious to me that it's such a dumb decision. But there's, I, there's got to be something I'm missing or something, something that makes this a good idea. Yeah, I think, I think, I think you're right. I think there are certain points on the field where box kicking makes sense, right? Like if you get in a certain zone, you're by midfield, put a box kick up, put pressure on on the back three. But that has to there's that that has to change depending on where you are in the game, right? In the situation in the game, late in the game, if you're up. And you just want to maintain the ball and possess it and hold on to it and just go through a bunch of just phases and grind it out and try and get the opponent to commit, you know, a dumb penalty at the breakdown and you kick the ball out and you walk down there and you milk that clock, right? Like that seems to be the conventional thing to do and that's do that, you know? And it, it seems like box kicking, particularly knowing what was happening in the game, right, where kick chase wasn't working very well because the guys were visibly tired and a, and a step behind because they're coming off short, a short turnaround. To ask them in the 76th, 77th minute to be as fit and 100% to be able to chase down a, a box kick late in the game, I think you're, you're asking a lot of, of the players there. and. Just hold on to the ball. <laughs> we will have to ask the coaches when we when we talk to them next about you know the the thought process around box kicking when you have a lead late in the game, versus just holding on to it and grinding out those phases and slowing the game down. But uh, you know this is coming from a guy who played scrum half and you know I, I love to kick the ball, but I feel like I would have gotten my ear chewed out or beat up if I kept kicking the ball away from our team when our forwards just want to grind out the game and get out of there. But, you know, this, this show isn't about me necessarily. So uh, so that's something we're certainly going to have to to take a look at and monitor down the, the, the stretch here is just the strategy behind the box kick. And I'm going to start counting box kicks, and I'm going to start sending you a text, AKP, and get your <laughs> thoughts on whether or not that was a good, a good idea or not. <laughs> If AKP ever becomes the World Rugby com, co, you know, chairman, he's going to put a law in that uh, forbids box kicks if you're ahead with five minutes left in the game. <laughs> yeah, automatic deduction of, uh, of two table points if you do that. <laughs> All right, moving on. A couple other things I wanted to point out. Or Was there anything else from a player perspective any other players performance that stood out in your mind that you wanted to, to highlight or bring up yeah well let's just call out nico jones for being an absolute star on the field i mean coming straight in and has had a huge impact so far yeah absolutely 
young player, ton of energy, has been able to to fill in admirably for for Corey Daniel and gives a couple more options uh, in the back row. Domestic qualified player that helps a, a ton. Um, you know, again, giving Coach Sims some more options there in in the forward pack. You know, another player that we kind of saw or we haven't seen too much of, at least in starting minutes, is Romero Herrera. Uh, any thoughts there on what you think is going on? Is it a rest thing? Is there is it something else? What do you think? We still waiting on a six XL jersey for him? Yeah, I I'm not quite sure. I mean the the scrums seem to be he's clearly a very good player, and you can see that when he when he plays. He just no one can keep him contained but it our scrums were also quite unstable when he was in them so maybe it's just uh whereas kyle stewart gives us a pretty stable scrum so maybe it was just a way to a decision by the coaches that they preferred the the stable scrum and they did eventually start pushing toronto back on those we we had the edge in the scrum so it could just be a away a decision by the coaches that they prefer the the stability of Stewart and they ex- and with the Scaro being able to usually have the upper hand over his opposition it gives them you don't necessarily need your tight head to be working over his opposition as well so maybe they just opted for stability over power and and that yeah, Herrera kind of reminds me of what South Africa did, where they bring on kind of that bomb squad in the last like twenty five minutes. Yeah. You see big Romero Herrera rumbling out there, and you're thinking, "Oh gosh, I got to scrummage against this guy." <laughs> and that that is a huge advantage because no one else has no one else is bringing a player like Herrera off the bench, uh, and so he's either he's either playing someone who he's either lining up against someone who's who's already played. 60 minutes or he's lining up against someone who's coming off the bench and is is not a starting quality player and i think it's a great idea seems to be working well so I, i'm not going to complain yeah scrum has definitely been the strength of, of old glory and we've talked about that all all season long a couple a couple other players that i want to talk about and this was the second time that we saw the pairing of he came on as a reserve, but Tito and, and, and Grady on the field at the same time. Again, Kurt Baker, I think, was out again because of uh, paternity leave. We'll see if he will be available in round 15 against Seattle. Um, but when they're on the field together, AKP, it seems like there are a lot of attacking options. <laughs> you texted me, hey, um, Tito really needs to be taking the kicks. And then sure enough, Tito came on and started taking the kicks. But what were your thoughts on, uh, on again, the, the combo of, of Grady and Tito on the field together? Yeah, I think it works really well. I think uh, Tito just has such a good attacking sense, and he has his kicking is, is fantastic. And I would love to see him emphasize his kicking more. He seems to have sort of stopped kicking quite as much because because he's not the fly half. They see... If any, if I have any criticism, it's that they seem a little too fixed in their roles. Of like, oh, Graydon's the 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 fly half, so he's got to be doing the kicks for goal and the kicks for the sideline when they get a penalty and stuff like that. And Tito's just better at those things, and he should be doing those things. And I don't, I don't really see why he's not, because and Graydon brings a lot of other positives, but also I would say that. Um, there were some times where Tito stepped into the the fly half role, like 
he might not have had that number on his back, but he they switched out and there were times where Tito took over as the, the fly half. And that seemed to work better at times, um, especially with everyone being a little tired and a little slow. Um, I felt like Graydon didn't necessarily have as many options for good attacking players to distribute to. And so his, his main strength was somewhat nullified. And so when Tito took over, that, that actually had some positive impact. But that's why I like them both on the field at the same time, is they have different strengths, and you can, you can in the moment, decide that one of them's a better option than the other, and they can switch out. So let me ask you a question. When, when Kurt Baker comes back from paternity leave, one would assume that you know, he's, he's rested because he hasn't played rugby in a couple of weeks, but I wouldn't necessarily say being the parent of a newborn makes you rested. But when Kurt Baker comes back, what is going to happen in your mind with that 10-15 combo? Are we going to see Tito slot back in at 10, Baker back at 15? Does Is Grady a reserve or does Grady stay at 10, Tito coming off the bench, Baker coming off the bench? I mean, like, there's so many different, I guess, combinations that could happen there. I'd love to get your thoughts on what you think, you know, over these next four games. is uh, or is it Or is it just matchup dependent? I think it might be matchup dependent to to some extent I feel like I don't really know is the problem I feel like you could I feel like Baker is a much more sure hand at, at fullback his he's defensively much better his kicking is is really good he doesn't present quite the same attacking threat that Tito does um, he's just not quite as as fast he's a bit well older i guess but i think so i think there's reasons to put baker in the backfield and it's a hard question yeah and maybe you could stick tito on the wing um i feel like junior sow has he's been okay on the wing but i don't feel like he necessarily contributes that much and it would be a different look if you took if you took him off and you put tito on the wing then you'd get, you know, but wings don't necessarily always play on the wing anymore anyway. You get someone who can catch well on the wing, and you could get you'd get someone who could kick well. You get you could get him into space. He could sort of switch into the centers at times as well to to get some space there. I do sort of wonder whether we're going to have to do something about Palamo because he was one of the people who really seemed to get to be suffering from being tired uh, on Thursday. He's just, I mean, he's an older player and he's, he's just <laughs> has only, only has so much good rugby in him. And I feel like he's not one of the players who handles being tired super well. So maybe we need to give Palamo a rest. Is Tito capable of playing in the, in the centers? I don't know. Maybe Graydon is. Maybe you put, maybe you have a 10 and 12 combination with, with, Tito at ten and Graydon at twelve. I, I yeah, feel like I mean like I I that makes me that makes me nervous so late in the season <laughs> to be thinking about those combinations. But you know, um, I I do think it. Why not go through that exercise? And it's good to have those those options. And I think you can you can kind of plug and play. The only thing that I wanted to bring up here and the point that you made earlier about you know wings these days don't aren't necessarily always on the wing. If you see what Utah does really well with Joe Mano and Mika Cruze, yeah, they have design plays where those guys are coming 
off the wing and they are come you know they're, they're essentially running lines you know in between the fly half and inside center and outside center so they're finding creative ways to get them in space and it seems to be working i mean look what utah has done since they lost to old glory dc so um one more point I want to bring up, and just an Iron Man in the backfield, but William Talataina, I mean, he has played 80-plus minutes every single game this season. I don't think he's come off the field yet. There may have been a game or two where they you know, gave him a little bit of a, of a spell, but he is always out there just balling, playing to the last minute. Um, love what he's doing out there at, at uh, outside center. Um, but sorry, continue your point about the, the plug and play combinations. Yeah, no, it's a good point. And maybe Talatana needs a rest because he's been, like you say, since he, he started the season coming off the bench or not even playing at all. And now, and since then, he's just been permanent fixture. He's just too good not to, to play. And yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I don't necessarily know that there's a wrong way to use Tito right now, so... I would be I would be interested to see what the the coaching staff thinks is the best way to to use him. I'm looking at uh, William Ty- William Talataina's minutes since he week four was his first game, so he didn't play the first three weeks. Again, there was the buy the early buy for Old Glory, but since he's been on, he's played the full game in every single game except for in week six. He played 78 minutes. And then of course, <laughs> and of course, round twelve was the was the strike was the the game that was shortened at halftime because of um, because of lightning. But yeah, since he's essentially played the full game every time he's been out there since round four. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, all right, hey KP. Final thoughts just on the week that was for Old Glory and the tie before we move on to round fifteen. So I think. I, it's one of those where I'm willing to give a pass for Old Glory and anything bad that happened in this match. I think it was it can be all explained by the situation where they were tired, and I'm willing to sort of forgive everything there. And but I do feel a bit a bit weird where it's you know we played Dallas and we were coming off a bye and it was rainy, so I forgave a lot of errors there. And then we played New England and they're New England and just seem to be beating the entire world to a pulp right now so i forgive them for for their mistakes in that that match we played new england better than most teams do so so that seemed like a positive and toronto making making uh, excuses again for why old glory is making mistakes because they're tired and this short turnaround eventually i would love to not have to make excuses for old glory and why their performance isn't quite what i hope and i really hope that these excuses are all correct and that we will you know now that now that we've had gonna have a full week's rest extra rest because we haven't played since thursday i'm really hoping that they can they can start to play like we expect them to and they can they can really get back to their real potential i love it it's a good uh, segue into round 15 in the build-up here. And if you're an Eastern Conference team, you've got some big tests ahead of you in this round. We'll break this down in just a second here. But let's look at the current standings in the Eastern Conference. New England at the top, 48 points. They've played 12 games. D.C. holding on to second place, 33 points. They've played 12 games. New York, they're in third place, 32 games. They just came off their bye. They're going to take on San Diego. You've got 
Atlanta in fourth place with 27 points. They're going to be taking on Utah. Nola Gold, fifth place, 26 points. They're on by this round. They've played 13 games in the Toronto Arrows in sixth place. They've got 14 points. So let's look at this final stretch of the games. We talked about the last seven, right? So at Dallas, they got the win there. They were home against New England, came up short, took an L on that one. At Toronto, again, that short turnaround. They got the draw. They didn't lose. They did get three table points. Very huge. Our next four games, home against Seattle, then traveling to NOLA, traveling to Houston, and the final game of the season is home against Atlanta, a very important four-game stretch here. AKP, what needs to happen for Old Glory DC to make the playoffs in these final four matches? Break it down for us. So if we if we win no games for the the remainder of the season, if we if we go zero and four, then we've still got a twenty-two percent chance of making it in. And huh. so this is probably assuming we're going to pick up some bonus points here and there, most likely. It's unlikely we just get zero standing points over the remaining, the remainder of our schedule. So there's, it's unlikely, but there is a chance that we win it even if we don't manage to beat anyone. Because um, we already have, and that's just down to how big a lead we have already. If we manage to win one game, so go one and three for the, the last four games, we have a 77% chance of making it. Um, wow. And if we can go two and two, it's a ninety-nine percent chance, and that's just because we're already we're six points ahead of Atlanta, seven points ahead of Nola. We have game up on Nola, so it's just it's unlikely that anyone's going to be able to catch us as long as we can win one or two games. Interesting. Um, wow, the difference between no wins and probably some table points and just one win is what fifty-five percent. Wow. That's wild. How, how does, yeah? How do the metrics work? What are the consequences of winning a game, losing? Any further insight on how that works in in what you've determined? <laughs> I really appreciate how you're trying to transition <laughs> into this thing that I threw into the dock. This uh, this table I threw into the dock like <laughs> ten minutes before we started recording, and you have no idea what it means. Um, and yeah, so there's this thing that I was looking at and I was trying to get this working, but then I, I just kept running out of time before our recordings. This is the this is a measure of how much of a difference beating a team would make or losing to a team to our playoff odds. So so the you can think of this as like the swing of percentage points. If we so let's start with Seattle. If we beat them, our our odds of making... Let's say we could look... We have a crystal ball. And we can look into the future and we can see whether we win or lose this game. If we see that, ah, we win against Seattle, then that would improve our odds of making the playoffs by 9%. If we lose to Seattle, the odds of us making the playoffs go down by 7%. So that's a total swing of about 15 percentage points in terms of our odds of making the playoff points. Playoffs. Um, for NOLA, that swing is about 18 percentage points. Um, for Houston, that swings about 16 percentage points. Although Houston is notable because um, it's mostly for positive for us. If we beat them, that's that would improve our odds by 10%. And if we lose to them, that only decreases our odds by 6%. Um, partly because we're not really expected to win that anyway because they're a good team on the road. So. Um, it just doesn't have that much of a negative effect if we if we lose to them. 
And then the big game is Atlanta. That's a 25 percentage point swing. If we win, that improves our odds by 11%. If we lose to them, that decreases our odds by 14%. So obviously it's it's sort of not that surprising the the two biggest games are nola and atlanta the in-conference games against the the two teams likely to be challenging and atlanta is the more important one because they're the ones more likely to be in a position to challenge us for a playoff spot so i love that breakdown Uh, i love that that uh, how you explain that it makes perfect sense after looking at it for the first time me scratching my head going huh so uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I appreciate that. Well, so let, let's, let's talk about that first one, Seattle. Let's, let's preview them real quick. They are 10 wins, two losses, 49 table points. They're second in the West. They've got a very good defense. They can rip off some big runs in the back line. We know they're missing their eight-man, their captain, Reichert Hadding, who's out um, uh, mending, a, I think, a, a shoulder injury, if I recall correctly. But... Um, okay, if you're Oglory DC, how do you beat Seattle and or do you tr- <laughs> is the strategy to try and go out and beat Seattle or is the strategy saying, hey, we know Seattle's got a very good defense. It's maybe hard to score points for them. They are going to score a lot of points. Should the goal, one of the major priorities be, hey, let's go out there and try and at least get four tries so we can at least get that bonus point no matter how the game shapes out yeah so i was looking at their they've lost they've got those two losses and so and that really informs a lot of that really informs a lot of how we might be able to beat them because they're a really consistent team they give up they almost always score about 35 ish points right around there and they almost always give up only about 15 to 25 points. Um, so they've been remarkably consistent on defense, remarkably consistent on attack. And the, the big exceptions, I mean, it, they blew out Dallas, but aside from that, the big exceptions have been um, San Diego beat them with defense. San Diego managed to hold them down at 20 points. And even though San Diego only scored, I think, 23 points, San Diego was able to come away with the win. So that would be one option is just focus on defense, focus on really trying to stifle them, not let them get a foothold, hold back their... They've got an explosive back three. Um, Really try and and just hold them in, not let them score more than 20 points, and and try and win that way. Make it a low-scoring slugfest. The alternative would be to do what Utah did, where Utah let them score their their normal amount of points i think they scored 36 in that um but then utah just focused everything into attack and got scored 40 plus points to to win that so they focused everything into just being a good attacking team overwhelming the seattle defense in that way that utah is so get good at lots of offloads lots of good running and and winning that way and like you say, for the sake of bonus points, it might be good to do the second one. Because even if we don't even if we don't win it, we can still get a four try bonus. Even if we don't win it, we might be able to to get you know, if we can score thirty points, we're probably gonna get that losing bonus point as well. And that'd just put us that much further ahead than than our competitors in the East. 
yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a tough task for Old Glory. Yes, they are at home, but they're welcoming in you know the second best team in the Western Conference. If you could tell me that Old Glory DC could walk out of this game with two table points, I think I would be happy with that. I would think I think that would be um, an ex- a positive outcome, helping Old Glory DC just get that much closer to qualifying for the playoffs. Yes, I'd love uh, to have Old Glory get a win, and I'm not saying they're not going to win this game. But if you could tell me that they could get two table points against Seattle, I think I would accept that. Yeah, yeah. I have to say I can't. I can't say I'm expecting a win from them. Um, it would be great. It would pretty much secure our playoff spot if we won, like we said earlier, just one win and we're up to 77% um, chance of, of making the playoffs. So I I would love to get a win. And I think it's possible. But it would it would take Old Glory really finding their form again in a way that we haven't seen in, in since before the bye week. So... Let's move to the part of the episode where we talk about our predictions. Before we do that, what does the model say is going to happen in this game? So the model has Seattle by two points. Oh. Which is wow. is not too bad, considering that the model basically has always has all glory right about average, and it's had us right about average all season. Like we're, I think we're slightly below average, but just not really enough to worry about we were slightly above before so whereas as seattle it views as really a pretty good team um so it's to be only down only or for seattle to only be favored by two points i think that's says pretty good things about our odds all right i'm gonna go first i won't put the pressure on you for your prediction here's my prediction rosie outlook on this game I think Old Glory, DC, they're probably going to come up a little bit short here. I think they're going to they're going to hang with Seattle. I think they're going to give them a real good game. I think Old Glory, DC does get two table points, so they'll get their four tries. They'll they'll be within seven. I think it's potentially going to be um, a high scoring game, somewhere in the mid to upper thirties for the winning side, mid to lower thirties for the team that comes up a little bit short. Um, but I think Old Glory is going to hang here, and I think they may have a shot, you know, towards the end if if they're if they're still hanging around to to try and and squeak one against Seattle. But on that spectrum of winning and getting two table points, four tries, and losing within seven, I think they they fall somewhere in there, and probably maybe closer to the the two table point outcome, which is still very favorable for Old Glory DC. So that's my wishy washy answer to uh, the prediction. What's yours? Yeah, I, I, I'm falling in the same sort of area. I think Old Glory loses 30 to 36, and I think they get to 30 with a couple of tries in the last 10 minutes to to pull them back. They bring on the bench, and they they grab them the last couple of tries to get the try bonus point and to get the um to get the the losing bonus point. It's a it's a Saturday night, uh, Saturday evening game, six p.m. I think the weather's looking pretty solid for be a great way to start Memorial Day weekend for Old Glory DC to to get one there. But let's move on to our quick fire picks for the rest of round fifteen. Nola Gold and the Dallas Jackals are on by. 
Round 15 starts Saturday afternoon with New England at home facing Toronto. The last time these two teams played, New England hung 80 on them. I think New England, based on some other stuff I've been reading on Reddit, may have an opportunity here to clinch their playoff spot with a bonus point win and a couple other things happening that I think New England's going to take it to, to the arrows. I think it's, it's, you're asking a lot of the arrows to try and beat New England there at home, but I think New England wins this game comfortably. They look dominant against Nola Gold. I can't imagine New England dropping another 80 on Toronto. I don't think that happens, but I think it'll be somewhere north of 25, 28 points. New England winning. Yeah, the model currently has New England by 22, and I think that, yeah, I don't think it's going to be close. Toronto has looked a lot better in recent times, but they they beat or they tied against an Atlanta team that then lost to Dallas, and they tied against an old glory team that had a couple of days rest. So I think a a well-rested top of the table New England team is just going to run away with it second game of course DC versus Seattle DC at home that's again Saturday 6pm that game is on FS2 if you can't make it to the stadium we're predicting DC getting two table points out of that one moving on Houston at home versus Chicago this Saturday 8pm Houston just coming off of a, a loss to Utah they're right there in that in that playoff chase in the Western Conference Utah's in third, Houston's in fourth. They both have the same amount of table points, but this is a game that Houston absolutely has to win. Chicago, again, we've talked about it. They hang around, and they just can't seem to quite get it over the hump. Houston at home, I think they win this game. I'm going to have them winning by 12 points, I think. Well, you're right in line with the model again. Houston, it has Houston by 11 points. I think that's pretty much accurate. There's never... Chicago has done pretty well to keep scores reasonable between them and their opponents, but that they haven't shown anything to, to say that they're not going to lose by a couple of scores here. So, yeah, I'll say 10 points. Right. These next two in, in round 15 are going to be very important to Old Glory. So Utah at home taking on Atlanta Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern time. Really need Utah to, to win this one. That's going to help Old Glory out. Atlanta, I don't know, they they had the lead and they lost it and then Dallas just played really well, but I don't know what Rugby ATL's identity is right now. They just don't seem like they're putting it all together well. Utah is fun to watch. They're fun to cheer for. I think Utah wins this game. I think they've got to continue to put on the points. I like Utah in this one. I think I, I think they win this one pretty comfortably, maybe 10 points. The model has it a little closer. It has Utah by four points but yeah i think i'm more down on atlanta than the model is so i i'll say utah by eight you know in, in the back of my mind this is also a game where atlanta could just rise to the occasion and just surprise utah like i wouldn't be surprised if that True. happens <laughs> so i'll qualify that I, i'm still picking utah but i wouldn't be surprised if it, if atlanta doesn't shock them, but goes up there and, and punches them in the mouth and gets a win. So Yeah, it's like every, it feels like every team in the East is like that. You know, they 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 could play terribly, they could play amazingly, and you just don't know which one you're going to get. Final final game in round 15, Sunday afternoon, 4 p.m. Eastern time. San Diego coming off of their bye. They are hosting the New York Iron Workers. This is 
San Diego going for a record-tying 10th straight win. New York certainly needs to get a win or at least get some table points to, to stay in that three-spot, two-spot, challenging Old Glory D.C. You know, San Diego should win this game. Um, but I think New York understands the situation. I think they're going to play San Diego pretty tough. I think I, I honestly see New York getting a, a table point or two out of this just to continue to put pressure on Old Glory and Atlanta and others in the in Nolan that race that I think San Diego wins this one, but I think New York finds a way to, to keep it close. San Diego by seven. You're, again, pretty close to the model, which has San Diego by nine. Um, I think it won't be that close. I think New York, a lot of their advantage over other teams is the strength of their forward pack and especially counter-rucking. I don't know that they're going to be able to do that against San Diego, and I don't know that they're going to have a lot of other tricks left in their book. So I am going to take San Diego by 14. Love it. If that happens, I'd be 100% okay with that. 100% okay with that. Alrighty, AKP, close us out with the final thoughts as Old Glory DC heads into round 15 against the Seattle Seawolves. Old Glory's got a pretty good team that I don't want to be making excuses for anymore, so it's time for them to just go out there and play some good rugby. I love it. Let's go out there, play some good rugby. It should be a fun weekend. It should be an entertaining match watching these two teams go head-to-head. So for AKP, I am John Fitzpatrick. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week on the Glorious Morning Podcast.